Spiritual joy runs deeper than despair. So in this dark world, the Lord Jesus gave us the task of passing on his love. Remember last week, I stated to you, God never measures the mind. That's your task. What are you thinking? God never measures the mind. He always puts his tape measure in the heart. It's the heart. Some of us, and the things that we are experiencing in our lives from the Lord, maybe don't understand it all. But just let your heart just fall in love with him in a greater way. Let your heart move into a realm of his kingdom realm, of what the principles and the culture of God's kingdom is. And when you begin to walk in this, even in spite of the tribulation and the hard times that go on in all of our lives, we begin to stop and pause and say, I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's nothing that will sway me from believing anything else. We've been talking about a a series on real heroes. We've described to you, we'll go over that again, what a real hero is. And so let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and also Nehemiah chapter 1. And hopefully we'll get to both. But the last couple of weeks we've been looking at the lives of biblical heroes. Their heroic acts are a huge part of your and my heritage, of our history as the church, Christianity, and God. We learned John the Baptist made himself of no issue. It wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. In order that Jesus Christ could become the issue in people's lives. I recommend to you, those that are watching online and those that are here, that you make Jesus Christ the issue. If you have issues in your life, make it overwhelmed by Jesus Christ. That's what John the Baptist showed us. And then we talked about crazy Noah. Crazy Noah was a man who was in the midst of a crazy situation, build a boat because it's going to rain when it never rained before this time. Something new is transpiring in his life. And by the way, let me just share with you on Good Friday, as Pastor Dan lets you know about, it's going to be an amazing worship time and communion that we're going to experience on that evening. And I believe we made it at 7 o'clock so that it would be later so you could make it here from work so that you could allow yourself on that special weekend of Easter just to explode in your worship that Jesus Christ went to the cross for your sin and he rose again on the third day, Easter, for your victory. And I want you to recognize is that on Sunday morning of Easter, we'll have a special time. Our children uh, have been practicing for some things, and we're going to experience our whole family just worshiping the Lord and experiencing uh, very special things. So just mark your calendar that whole weekend just to be with us and to pray and to believe God. Get involved, love people, invite people uh, to this special Very special time. Now, also with crazy Noah, he made a decision that brought deliverance for him and his family and really for mankind. So let's talk about uh, Nehemiah today. I love this guy. I love his heart. I love his passion. And he reminds me of, of a real strong personality And I like those personalities. And so let's talk again about what is a hero? 
When we are to describe a hero, what is a hero? And I'm going to expand that to you today. A hero is an ordinary person who does extraordinary things. So everyone in this house has the potential to be heroic in your behavior. You have a potential to be heroic, and we're going to learn more of how that is done and and how we need to see things, how we need to walk in kingdom ways, in God's ways, uh, to be that hero for others. So let me give you the expanded definition uh, that I give as a hero. A hero is someone whose action has such impact that it changes the course of a life or a group of lives. A hero is someone who applies their abilities and their resources without consideration of personal risk to make a difference in people's lives. The more we find out about God, the more we find out that he wants to bless us, that we're his favorite kid. Each one of us were his favorite kid. But there are a lot more favorite kids outside that need Jesus. And the more that we find out our heroic acts are really for people on the outside. People that don't know Jesus. People that are angry at God and have left the church and are running around trying to find something that fills this void in their life. And so that's a true hero. Now, as a kid, Superman was it. You remember, faster than a speeding bullet, stronger than a locomotive, and he could leap tall buildings. Well, for those that weren't there and I gave you a truth, uh, let me explain it to you again. The only problem with all of that, it's a romantic idea of a hero. Here it is. I know this is going to just surprise you, but Superman never lived. Okay? Superman wasn't real. But now I, I can glean. I remember one of them of the old Superman, old, old Superman uh, shows is that he flew down, he grabbed a cat out of a tree and saved a cat. How heroic he was, Superman. But you know, it's as simple as that. It's allowing yourself, as we learned uh, beforehand in this series, is it's really the concepts of the kingdom of God that brings you into an understanding of real personal uh, ability to change lives. Heroes of the Bible, though, they lived on this earth. They breathed like we breathe, and they ate and they slept like we do. They were humans who believed in God. Biblical heroes were ordinary people, but because they said yes to God, they have done extraordinary things. The struggle we have is a deception of of what we see what a hero is, a deception of that we got to do something great in man's eyes. And really, we need to understand we need to do something great in God's eyes and our passion and our purpose of what God has given us. So let me give you proof in the Bible. It actually does this. It begins to tell us all throughout the Bible, but especially in Hebrews 11, tells us about heroes. Verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. When they are at their weakest point, They became strong because they believed in the God of miracles. They became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. So ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Ladies, I want to share with you verse 35, Hebrews 11. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. 
that they might obtain a better resurrection. Next week, we will talk about an amazing Shiro called Ruth. She is a biblical hero, and because she's female, we're going to use the term Shiro. Verse 36, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. So the Bible doesn't tell us that when you are a hero and you do great things doesn't mean that you don't go through tribulation and trial. It doesn't mean that things in your life don't go the way you have determined it for, to go. But being that hero or shero, that you begin to understand the ways of God, you begin to understand the things of God, and it's not the, the religious terminology, well, you know, in these last times, these last days, you know, the Bible says it's going to get so bad, it's going to get so worse. I'm saving that for Easter and the week after Easter. We'll talk about that. But I want you to recognize is that there's stuff out there. There is evil out there. I know you know that. But I want you to know there's a separation between evil and good. There's a separation between demonic influence and God influence. And I am challenging you as your pastor. I'm challenging everybody watching online is that you become that hero or shero for the kingdom of God. And you begin to see things greater than you've ever seen before. That even today, what I saw when I was worshiping, I saw the healing power of God in my spirit. I saw what God was doing. I saw the breakthroughs that were happening in your life, and some of you didn't even see it. But I'm helping you and I'm challenging you to begin to see it, to begin to look for it, begin to understand the things of the Lord. The old song, ordinary people, God uses ordinary people. A life lived in obedience to the Holy Spirit is a heroic life and will lead to extraordinary acts. Now, we cannot measure the impact of our acts in many cases in the moment that we act. I'm going to say that again. you got to catch this. Because I'm taking you on a journey of great things, that you're going to be the superman or superwoman of the kingdom of God and, and of changing lives and bringing transformation in people's lives. Why? Because God from the beginning called you to do that. It is not something that God has changed his mind in your life. It's something he has always called to you. But the enemy comes in with tribulation and situations trying to get you distracted. Don't you miss Easter Sunday message. Don't you miss the week after that especially because I'm going to show you how to break through in these areas and no longer deception is going to bind you up even though you love Jesus with all your heart and you've been faithful to him. There's still deception out there in the church. And we need to see the deception. Great people, wonderful people, who desire to do great things for the kingdom of God at times are deceived. You see, in most cases, our heroic acts will be looked upon later on. We will see the experience. At times, you will not even see it. You will go on into eternity, but what you have planted, the seed that you have planted, will continue to go on. And I want, you, I want to give you a promise of God that he just doesn't do it the same way. He doubles it. He multiplies what you do. And so some of you are sitting here, and I can never be a hero or shero, but I'm telling you, yes, you are a hero in the kingdom of God. The reason I really love Nehemiah is he is, was the rebuilder of the broken. We live in a society today where some are hurting, they're broken, and they need to be repaired. And we need heroes to see it. We need heroes to be there with them. 
Their lives are in shambles. They've made wrong decisions. And they don't know what to do. They need you to be able to show them the truth that will set them free. So now let me just summarize uh, because of the time frame. You come on Sunday nights. I spend a lot of times in these areas. But let me summarize the book of Nehemiah here on Sunday morning. The book of Nehemiah is 13 chapters. The book opens with Israel in captivity. Nehemiah is a prophet and is a prisoner of war. But back then, they gave honor to those that were leading, either give honor or they kill them, those that lead different nations. So he is serving Artaxerxes, the king, as the cupbearer to the king. Now that is, you say, that's crazy. <clears throat> cupbearer just doesn't drink the water to make sure it's not poisonous. There's a lot of other things that he does. The story is, Nehemiah got stirred of the needs of the people and the condition of Jerusalem. Because of captivity, Jerusalem has gone into chaos and confusion. Nehemiah was obedient to what God told him to do, and the result was amazing things took place through Nehemiah's life. That's the book in a nutshell. Breakthrough took place because one man saw the truth of the kingdom of God. And we're going to learn from Nehemiah. I'm going to again show you three things. There's many things we can learn. But for what I believe the Holy Spirit showed me and, and what we need as a church and all those that watch all over the world, uh, our, our messages, I want you to know we need this. Nehemiah not only rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, he restored the spiritual vitality of the people who lived there. They lived in fear. They lived with great loss. Because in battle, people die. They were in captivity. They were in slavery. And bottom line, Nehemiah did everything that he did so others could be blessed. What he did, what his heart was, was to do things heroically in obedience to the Lord so that others could be blessed. Others could receive what he knew that God had given before to Israel. So here's a question. This is a question for all of us. What does it take to become a hero like Nehemiah? One day that I'm going to go to be with the Lord. Um, sorry for anyone that thinks, I hope that's quicker. It's going to be a long time. I want on my epitaph, he was a rebuilder of people. That's my passion. That's my call. That's what I desire. That's what I've done in ministry. The, the four, basically, seasons of life, of transition for my wife and I has always gone to a place that hard times took place, tribulation took place, loss took place. Sin took place. Breakup took place. And God brought me in there, not because I'm any better than anybody else, but he knew I'd be obedient even when tough times, even when things were against me, when people came against me, when things happened. When I became a supervisor, there were many things that were needed to be, and when I say this term, it's not me, that our organization needed to fix in the way we did things. And I had the privilege of a little over seven years of being a supervisor, overseeing states of churches, to be able to help implement the plan that God gave Foursquare, but also to implement the plan that God gave me as a leader in many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of pastors and people. One of my favorite ones, uh, younger than me, uh, had a great, uh, has a great ministry, 
is retiring today. And a young man that, that grew up in the church that I pastored in North Carolina is being appointed lead pastor of that church today. A church of about 1,500 people that serves in North Carolina. You see, because when you're obedient, even though it seems like it doesn't look good and you're obedient to God, in time, God will turn it around because of your heroic obedience with the Lord. And we're going to prove that in Scripture today. We're going to show that to you. But many of you, you know, it might not be something where I was because you're not called to that. But you're called to your life. You're called to do the things that you're supposed to do. And you're to walk in that kingdom reality in ways so that you can be the hero in your world. Where you live, where you work, where, where, you know, where you're married, all the different things. You can be that hero. Again, so bottom line, that God could bless them. But here's, here's that question again is what is God saying to you about your world? They need heroic acts in your world. Now, to be a Nehemiah hero, let's learn from him. First of all, we must have focus. There needs to be a real focus, but the focus needs to be an outside focus. When you live Christianity, and you do, when you do that, is that a lot of times the focus is always about, upon ourselves. That God, you gave me power and authority and anointing. What Me, me, me. What, what's going to do for me? How's it going to cause me to succeed? All, all, the different, all that, God says, I will take care of that. Just walk in my ways in obedience to me. But there needs to be a focus for you to become a hero, a Nehemiah hero that brings restoration in people's lives. You need to have a focus on the outside. Those sitting next to you, those that come in that you maybe don't know in this congregation, those at work, those at the store, wherever you're at, there needs to be an outside focus on other people of bringing that restoration that Nehemiah had. And we're going to show you what happened simply with Nehemiah, why he got this vision, why he not only vision, but he, he really received a passion for it, and it was straight from God. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of that guy, it came to pass in the month of uh, Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So we get the picture. This is starting off in Nehemiah. He's in captivity, and he's doing what he's doing. I explained earlier. This group is traveling through to the place where Nehemiah is a prisoner of war serving in the court. Nehemiah, because where God placed him, I want you to hear that, where God placed him, I want you to understand there's very little confusion unless you reject God, very little confusion where you're placed. Where you are placed is where God wants you to be. How many times are we taught or we live life to run from that place? So Nehemiah, even though he's in captivity, found great favor because he knew God had him there for a specific reason. Outside focus. So Nehemiah finds out these men are there and he runs to them to ask them, what is happening? Because he doesn't, he doesn't have you know, any news online he doesn't have Twitter or whatever to find out what's happening, you know, in Jerusalem. Nehemiah asked a simple question, and from the answer, and from the answer, an explosion of concern happened in Nehemiah. 
I'm going to say that again. He had a simple question. You know where that simple question comes from when you have an outside focus? You're already concerned if you're able to be a hero, not just a hero, because we know what a hero is. It's an ordinary person that does extraordinary things. And that extraordinary thing could be like Superman grabbing a cat out of a tree and saving it from falling, even though it had five lives left. See, this is the journey, is that you have a question, and then you begin to find out the answers to your question. You have a lost sibling. You have a lost niece or nephew. And you begin to ask the people that were there, who's there? Holy Spirit's there. You begin to ask God, what can I do to show you, John the Baptist? What can I do to show you to them so they could have breakthrough in their lives, like what we're going through as a church in our decade of breakthrough? And from there, a passion will begin to arise in your spirit. It's not the pizza you ate last night. It's God. An outside focus doesn't take into focus where we're at or what we are in the moment personally. Some of you are literally going through Hades on earth, but God is personally speaking to you to focus on someone else to touch their lives. And through touching their lives, there will be deliverance in your life. Have a passion for others. An outside focus looks at the condition around us or you and then says, what can I do? This moment, okay, here's another childhood hero. Let's call it the Popeye moment. Anybody remember Popeye? Popeye is a cartoon character. Again, let me just reiterate, he wasn't real. All right? I know, I just hurt your feelings. But the story is Bluto beats Popeye up, and it gets so bad he reaches in his shirt and pulls out a can of spinach. He sucks it down his throat and turns from a skinny, mealy-mouthed weakling and becomes a muscular powerhouse. See, being a hero from God is you become a spiritual powerhouse. You reach into your spirit. You reach into the power and the anointing and the call of God in your life. Like crazy Noah. Remember the old statement, Popeye finally get to an end of, because there's this passion rising up that the, this is wrong, this is not right. And he says, I can't stance this anymore. Some of you are hearing his voice. We arrive at a Popeye moment when we ask a simple question. How are you doing? How are your kids? What did the doctor say to you? As the answer comes, this compassionate care begins to take place. So we find in the beginning that Nehemiah, Nehemiah has a real desire, a focus of not just what he's going through, but what's happening with everybody else. Is there anybody left? Have they all been killed? So as the answer comes, something rises up inside him. We say, I can't stand this anymore in our life, in our world. And we step forward and the Holy Spirit stirs something in your heart. That's when you have a focus. See, I don't do what I do for me. I trust in a God that if I'm obedient, he's going to take care of me. But everything I do has a, has a passion for other people. Everywhere I go, I'm looking. Is there an opening? Is there a breakthrough happening? Do I need to pray for someone? Do I need to talk to them about Jesus? And this breakthrough moment 
is happening. And seed upon seed upon seed upon seed that I have lived in my life. I've made mistakes. I've made wrong choices through the years. But God keeps coming back and, and reiterizing what he's told me. And let me tell you this. God keeps saying that to you. And, and some of us are even struggling with it because it's way over our heads. It's above our pay grades, what he's asking you to do. And if we're not seeing the things, focusing on the outside and focusing on what God's asking us to do, then we begin to look at ourselves and what we've done in life or what we shouldn't have done in life, and we become deceived that we can't do it. That's not who I am. Well, God is not asking you to be who you are. He's asking you to be who he is. He's asking you to walk in his passion, in his ways. So that's what happened with Nehemiah and what always happens with you. So when you have an outside focus, look at verse 3 in that chapter, Nehemiah 1, and look what it says. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. Distress and reproach. I'm going to use, I'm going to explain those two words, but I'm going to use different words so you understand biblically what is being said. So they're in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So first word that we want to talk about is distress, and we're going to use the word trouble. There are a lot of people outside of your life that are in trouble. Trouble is anything that causes pain or, let's use the word distress, or calamity. Do you know somebody that's in pain? Do you know somebody that's in distress or calamity? And sometimes we have a tendency because the enemy comes in with this great knowledge he thinks he has, great wisdom. Well, the reason why they're going through that is because that's how they were. And that's, well, maybe true physically. They made wrong choices. But you know, all of us did. And Jesus came and restored us. Isaiah 26, 16 says, Lord, in trouble they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs when she draws near the time of her delivery. So have we been in your sight, O Lord? We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. He said, they tried everything they knew what to do, and they just couldn't get an answer. That's what he's saying there. So trouble continues. Trouble continues. My question to you, are we Nehemiah? Are we going to see other people's needs? So that God can use you to be heroic and then, because he's so faithful to you, he will absolutely change your life because of where your focus is. Do you know someone like that? They've gone to church, they prayed, they tried everything they knew what to do, and in conclusion, they don't know what to do, and a lot of times they'll leave the church. They need a hero. They need an ordinary person to do an extraordinary thing in obedience to God. There's a caveat, in obedience to God. Romans 2, 9 through 11 says, Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. 
John 16, 33 speaks of suffering and trouble. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Not, yay, my body hurts. I mean, you know why I do that? Because I'm always ministering to those on the outside. And those are the things they say. That's the, that's the mentality they have. That's the deception they're living in. The good cheer is that you know something. That nothing can change you from the joy of the Lord because you know something. Jesus Christ is a risen Lord and you have victory in him. That's it. Watch this. I have overcome the world. That's what God's saying to us. I've overcome the world. An ordinary person comes along and says, right now, I don't know what to do. So to help you, I'm going to come alongside you. Now, right away when I say that, I'll see, you know, we just need to carry everybody's burdens. No, you don't carry anybody's burdens. You walk in obedience so that God can carry that burden. See, I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to share this in, in a moment about just in my beginning years of ministry, um, at the beginning, I didn't have a lot of mentors, so I had to really dig in myself and pray. And there were, there were sometimes I, I struggled in ministry. There were sometimes, when, when I was first in ministry, I didn't like ministry. And I heard the statement, it made me laugh, and then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and totally changed. One guy, I was teaching a leadership thing at a camp, and he says, you know, ministry would be so amazing and magical and wonderful and such a blessing if it wasn't for people. Everybody laughed. Some of you didn't. What do you mean? Ministry is about other people. But see, when you're, when you're about other people, Sometimes other people can be jerks. But that doesn't change your heart. You don't get offended. You don't get hurt. I mean, I've watched the super council, councils and council members and congregations and pastors, they get their feelings hurt. They're, you know, you got one group on one side of the church and another group on the other side of the church, and I'm in the middle trying to bring peace. I didn't want to go there. Let's just, you know, throw a grenade. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Blow it up and rebuild. The other word mentioned was shame or reproach. The biblical concept of shame is humiliation due to sin. Humiliation due to sin. As a pastor, I thought years ago my job was to keep people from sin. Amen. You know, uh, the people did some really awful things through the years. And, and you know, your, your mind says, what? Why did they do what they did? And you try to figure out, and then you try, what I do wrong? Maybe I didn't spend enough time with them. Maybe I didn't mentor them. Maybe, I, you know, and I'd get to this place where this, this and I'm going to call it confusion. That's why I hate the word confusion, because it's not of God. Confusion is not of God. And we have to get to a place in our life where we understand that it is about people, and people do sin. But it's not my responsibility to remove the sin from them. It's my responsibility to show the one who can. People make choices, and from those choices, consequence from their sin happen. And shame is a result. How many times do you see people that did great things, and then they fell into sin, and then to try to get them back, they said, well, I'm not good enough. Can God really forgive me? It's shame. It is a spirit of shame straight from the pit of hell that is trying to keep people from being everything God had already and still calls them to. God's mind hasn't changed. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you're out there with people, you know the good in that person, and God hasn't changed. They're just living their life in shame, trouble and shame, and sometimes the trouble they caused. But they're living in shame. It's not because God hates you. It's not because God is mad at you or judging you. Sin has its own penalties. Trouble and shame. Shame was upon the exiles in the city of Jerusalem because of sinful choices they had made. That's why they went into captivity. Hosea 4, 6 and 7 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Now, you've got to understand, knowledge is a terminology used in the Bible for God, the knowledge of God. I also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. Their glory is into shame. Proverbs 14, 13. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach or shame to any people. In other words, when we're walking in disobedience and sin, shame automatically is that. And that's why you and I battle things in our life because we don't recognize the penalty of sin. Because if you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, you're going to heaven, even though you still sin once in a while. Are you with me? You're getting quiet. All right, let's go on. So no one in this house was any further away from being a hero than Nehemiah was at that day. He was a prisoner of war. He had no status. He simply was being moved with compassion and care of a situation of the day. Matter of fact, with with what Terry and I do, Terry especially, did you know that the name or word Nehemiah means the Lord of comfort? He had passion. He was named comfort. Someone you know is in distress and shame, trouble and shame, and what they need is the Lord's comfort. Hello, Popeye. They need a Popeye. They need a superman. Let me ask you this. Is there something stirring in your spirit that you need to respond to? Is your family broken? Is it in disarray? Is there confusion? Is there chaos? It's most likely, watch this, a reflection of a spiritual condition that needs a hero. Of a spiritual condition that needs a hero. People are deceived. They're deceived not because they're dumb. They're smart people. Not because they, they choose to be deceived. They've been deceived. And it's you, the hero, that can give them the insight of their next steps. Not run their lives. That's not your responsibility. But bring them to Jesus. So it takes an outside focus to become a Nehemiah hero. Here's the second. It takes faith. I'm going to go a lot quicker than these last two. It takes faith or the urging of a response. We must have a foundation of faith to move forward. I wrote this down so I, because I, I know doctrinally we need to really understand this. We must have a foundation of faith to move forward in our lives when the compassion of care overwhelms us. Faith needs to lead our compassion. I'll say it again. Our belief in God's ways need to lead the ways that we need to function in to help the person. So in other words, we learn from God. Nehemiah 1.4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept, Nehemiah speaking, and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I was asking God, God, what can I do in this situation? 
and I fasted and I prayed for many days. Sometimes we will go to so, oh, you just need to go to church. Well, maybe the church they went to was a church that they shouldn't have gone to. And that's their experience of church. And you need to clarify what church is. I hear a lot from, well, you know, I used to go to church, but every church I ever went to, I wanted to ask them, how many churches did you go to? Every church I went to, they're always asking for money. You know why a church teaches on tithe and offering? Because it blesses you. That's why. Because I experienced it in my own life. Amen. I was this morning, I came in, and, and the Holy Spirit said, it's not a tithe, but I want you to double tithe today. You know what I did? But, but God, you know, no, I didn't. I said, okay. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just like came in my spirit. A passion came in me, and I was obedient. And I put it right in there. I tithed last week and I tithe again this week. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Faith grows. It begins with the seed of the word of God. We must get in the word of God. We're going to be announcing OSL. We're going to be doing all kinds of things that regarding the word. And I, and I want you to understand, ladies, you got to get with the ladies when they meet. So important to you. Many times we say no to God when grief happens. How many of you have experienced great grief in your life? When grief happens. But faith needs to take over so we say yes to God in the midst of our mourning. Again, has God been stirring your heart? And I'm praying that Popeye is rising up in your, your heart and you're saying, I can't stance this anymore. It's God's way. In Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, look what happens. Verse 2. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? Okay, the story is, is, is he's, he's, Nehemiah's around the king all the time. And he just had a sad countenance. Not because of fasting or not eating. It's because of his passion wanting to do something. This is nothing but sorrow of heart, the king noticed. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. In other words, he honored the king because that's what you do. You bring honor. Well, I will never bring honor to that person because, you know, they don't believe the way I believe. You bring honor to people. Amazes me today as people can't have discussions without getting mad and leaving and turning their back on people. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? So, in other words, the king could have gotten really ticked off because they had conquered them and said, all right, off with your head. But he was all in. Are you all in with what God's asking you to do? Nehemiah recognized God placed me in the position of cupbearer so I could ask for help. The place God puts you in is not for comfort, but to move by faith for his purposes. The place, every place you are in, whether it's exciting or not so exciting, is so your faith can move. Because we're faith people. So what can you do where God has you today? Nehemiah saw the spiritual picture of brokenness. Faith is the fuel that empowers the passion and care, putting you in position to become a spiritual hero. Just do the simple things. Reminder, we must have an attitude of outside focus with a foundation of faith. 
And I'm not talking about just good deeds. Because you can do good deeds without God. Amen? A lot of people in the world do good deeds. But it's without God. It doesn't have his blessing to change and transform lives. I'm talking about life-changing things in response to God. When you respond to God, God moves. Faith. Here's the third thing. We'll close with this. We're going to be a hero like Nehemiah. We need faithfulness and an unwavering resolve. We need faithfulness and an unwavering resolve. God, you said it, I'm here, I I stay. I'm going to do it from your work, your job, your church, ministry, to your neighbors, to whatever. I'm here. If you've given me a passion to do something, I'm going to do it. Nothing will stop me from doing it, what you ask me to do. But remember, you do all this with honor. You know, there, there are some believers that I know, it's like, God said it, and they start kicking people around. Get out of my way. I'm going to totally blow everything up, like I was talking about earlier. No. Is that he went and honored the king, and he knew he could lose his life by saying what he said, but he always honored the king And what God did because of that honor, honor always brings a reward. Honor always brings a reward. America needs a breakthrough in that of honor. Nehemiah 6, verse 1 through 2 says, Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no bricks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sambalet and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of... Notice the word of the plain, Ono. This is something you always need to say when I explain it to you. You need to say, Oh no, I'm not going there. Okay? But they thought to do me Harm. See, the Holy Spirit will show you. The thought was to bring him harm. So he was unwavering but faithful. Realize, church, the purpose of God in your life has enemies, and they will not go away. Your purposes have enemies. It's not people, it's spiritual. But it will come to pass and manifest sometimes through people. So here's the main enemy, a spiritual battle that gets you to a secluded place so you feel alone and you compromise. Where you get exhausted of what you're facing and you go run from everything. And you sit in the middle of a room weeping about your situation. And what that is, is that is the way the enemy brings you into a secluded place where you will feel alone and you will compromise. Now, the plain called Ono means to cover or to hide. So when this begins to take place that you want to pull away from the things of your life, pull away from your marriage, pull away from your home, from your business, pull away from whatever it may be, you say, oh no, I will not hide. God, I will stand and I will be faithful to what you ask me to do, no matter what goes on. Are you with me, church? Amen. So in this story... The scheme of the spiritual enemy is to draw you to an isolated place, thinking it is a good thing, but to get your life to compromise and disqualify yourself from doing the work of God. If someone's calling you to this place of compromise, be faithful to what God put in your heart and don't obey it. 
Complacency is your enemy. Don't be satisfied with life as usual. Distraction is a huge enemy also. When you are moving into an area, how many of you know and realize when you began to do something, a heroic act for things, what happens? Your washer and dryer breaks. There's a death in the family. There's problems at work. Your car breaks down. A distraction that keeps you unfocused from what God had called you to do on the outside. And what happens if we are not faithful and have that resolve, we will be distracted and our walk with God will be like this. And then you know what we say? God, how come all this stuff is happening? Amen. I'll be sharing uh, Easter. Um, Just my experience of mentoring, being mentored, spiritual fathers, moms, stuff, And the message that I got for Easter is a second message. They already have up there the old message for Easter. But God gave me something because this this past week, um, many of you know him. We have served his ministry. We have traveled there. Many of our congregation have traveled there. Ted Ulbricht passed away. And he is just an apostolic figure in Cambodia. And that's the orphanage that we have supported all these years. He and his wife, Sue. And he passed away on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I get a message that John Amstutz, Professor John Amstutz, Pastor John Amstutz, who was one of my favorite professors when I was in school in 78 through 82. And I knew him. I had, I had breakfast with him. I'd have lunches with him. And I'd pick his brain like other mentors. And uh, with John and then with Ted Ulbrich, we were great friends. And it just was three weeks ago. He called and he said, is there a possibility and I've been praying about it. I said, it'll take a few weeks before I can figure it out. He said, no problem, because he was going to be here in the fall. And he asked if he could come and speak to us. And, of course, I was 95% sure he was going to come. And he passed away, and John passed away. And I just, I was uh, just brokenhearted. I really was. I was brokenhearted. And the Lord just began to pour all over me about all this message that I'm going to give you on Easter and the, the week after. I know with all my, my heart that these messages that I'm giving you now, but these messages for Easter is going to absolutely overwhelm you with such knowledge and truth that the breakthrough that uh, Dr. Mila and what we have been professing and prophetically speaking to this church and to your homes and to you, everything you touch, you're going to see such truth in these messages. It will transform you, and you're going to see yourself walking in such uh, transformational anointing that's going to bring salvation and healing in so many people's lives. So let's all stand, and I want to conclude by reading a scripture to you and, and make a couple more statements. So distraction is a huge enemy. Eternity was my saving grace with the losses. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me say this, because I, I know so many of you personally 
But just let me say this to you. I'm speaking to everybody. If you are in a compromised position, move to a resolve and be faithful and obedient to what God had said to you. Even if for some reason you're thinking, I haven't heard from God for a year or two years, move to the last point that he said something to you. And you move and be resolved to stay with it. Because what God's going to do, he's going to absolutely give you so much more. Because you open yourself up. Because you have a heart for the outside. You have faith. And you're faithful to the things of God. See, that's how simple it is. You say, well, pastor, that's not simple. Yeah, it is. It's simple. When you get out of line, get back to it. When something wants to distract you, get back to it. When it's all about you, you know that's not where it needs to be. God's going to take care of you. But he takes care of us. The kingdom realm is knowing his ways. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You and I have some work to do, folks. And no enemy is going to stop us. I have had, I have, but I have had such resolve in what God is saying to me. And I have stayed on course of what God has said to me many years ago. And God is now beginning to bring a larger picture. You know why? Because you're ready for it too. Because you're, I'm your pastor. I'm a covering. And he has done that. And you need to honor that. When you honor that, I don't run your lives. I got enough to do to run my own life, right? And so if we, if we understand this, this miracle of breakthrough is going to take place. So I'm going to pray in a moment. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's God saying to you? Let's do it. For those who are here, those that are watching, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Scripture again, I've said it many times, says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And guess what? You will be saved. (laughs) And then you start your journey of renewing your mind to God's ways. Simplistic. We get, we get, we name so many things that can hinder us. Not when Jesus Christ did the work. Your spirit, when you became born again, was brand new. Old things had passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's your soulish, it's your mind that remembers. And when you stay, focused on the outside. You stay growing, being discipled, OSL and mentored and have spiritual moms and dads, peers that we talk with one another, get on Zoom with the men, guys, and journal together. Grow and grow. It will turn into faithfulness and a resolve that you will win. Because why? Jesus has already overcome the world. It's done. It's done. In Jesus' name, I proclaim a blessing. Healing, arise. Salvation, arise. Emotional health, arise. I come against that demonic force that's telling you, that's watching me right now, that is telling you to commit suicide in Jesus' name, you stop. He's a liar. Nothing he can say that's the truth. 
And the truth is, is that you're God's favorite. Let him prove to you his love for you. Hallelujah. God loves you. We do too, and we're praying for you. Father, we give you praise for all you're doing. Great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you all. Have a great, great day.